The story you are about to hear is different from any of our other episodes. This story was awarded a grant by the Regional Arts and Culture Council in 2019. The following year, production began. However, as was the case with many projects during 2020, the story of Francis Fuller Victor was delayed. Today, that story arrives. Researched, written, and narrated by Brianna Barrett with the help of 10 voice actors and singer-songwriter Jay May. Brianna Barrett is a playwright, storyteller, obscure history buff, and avid tea lover. Her full-length theatrical work has been developed at Artist Repertory Theater, Theater 33, Fertile Ground Festival, Heart Theater, and UCLA. Her TV work has been developed with Stuber, Farrah Films, Hollywood Laundromat, and ICM. She's performed at venues such as Pickathon, yes, the Music Festival, and earlier this year she released her debut limited series podcast, True Love, and Other Non-Communicable Diseases. What you are about to hear is the opening act of a Civil War era romantic dramedy inspired by real columns from the city's most popular weekly newspaper, The Golden Era. It is 1863, and our lead character, Frances Fuller Victor, arrives in San Francisco, hoping to publish her manuscript about the history of the West. All right, let's kick off the show. begins in a city built on prolific sand hills. Old-fashioned urban sprawl where rickety wooden buildings are thrown up amid ornately decorated Victorian architecture. Uh, same, uh, same when you pass. Picture a street market busy with crowds and carriages. A vibrant city of immigrants, different languages spoken around every corner. This is San Francisco in 1863. Amid the hustle and bustle of the new Western city, Frances Fuller Victor. She walks down the street with all the self-assurance of someone who considers herself to be even more ahead of her time than she actually is. She carries a stack of papers and holds on to her hat. It's a weird city, a true melting pot. Women protest outside bars, holding signs that say things like, the devil's in the drink, while a man dressed as an emperor gets drunk on a park bench and pets stray dogs. Frances keeps walking, addressing us like she knows we're not from here, and she's cheekily delighted to show us around. San Francisco, California. What a trip! For years, it only ever crossed my awareness as a place where other people were going out to make a fortune. So how does a woman find respectable employment in California? Frances passes by a newspaper stand. A scrawny, effeminate man, Pip Pepperpod, can be seen holding a copy of a newspaper. Five dollars for a year's subscription. A journal of unsurpassed literary excellence. Dispatches that are nearly lightning. I'll take one. Coming right at you from the best of the West. 
Get weekly news, humor, scuttlebuttery, and serialized stories from the likes of Bret Hart. Thank you, ma'am. Five dollars for a year subscription. A journal of unsurpassed literary excellence. Declining to register for the draft is against the law. You have been Francis unfolds the front page of the paper. The masthead reads, The Golden Era. Beneath that, in all caps, San Francisco, California. Sunday, June 28th, 1863. In a barely big enough shoebox of a room, Francis writes at her writing desk. I arrived not long ago. An import from the States. It doesn't matter how or why. Except to say, it involves months of seasickness and weeks of uncomfortable stagecoach travel. Thank you very much for asking. Picture me swaying on the deck of a ship. Frances sways on the deck of a ship, her gloved hands grip around the railing. A dignified gentleman stands beside her regally painting at an easel that seems somehow undisturbed by the motion of the ship. Francis attempts to pose for a portrait, trying desperately to look dignified despite the wind whipping her hair in every direction. It's easy to romanticize travel, glorify new frontiers, or a return to simpler ways. Francis is in a crowded stagecoach, mixed company of men and women in their travel clothes. She grimaces at a sticky, crying baby on the lap of another woman. Then Francis looks down at her notebook, writing. A young man leans towards Francis. He's not unattractive exactly, but something about him just screams overly eager. Just got off the dusty trail and I'm looking for love. You want to share a fine sarsaparilla with an old cowpoke? Francis doesn't look up. What's a fine lady like you doing all the way out here in the boonies? I would travel as a fine gentleman, and I forgot my trousers at home. I don't see a husband, my lady. Where your husband at? I killed him. She smirks slyly at her notebook. In reality, the stagecoach is so boring, one starts to hope for a bear to attack, just so you'll have something to do. At night, naturally, I kept my travel companions well entertained. Here she goes again. <laughs> I've built up an impressive portfolio of research from my voyage. And the thing is, people appreciate an educational story where they can learn something. Eventually, luggage in hand, I found myself at the front steps of Russ House. I booked in advance, and I'm told this hotel is very... very... affordable. For reasons that I can only guess. Confederate flags hang from doorways and balconies. Two classic Southern Belles, Princess and Belle Jones, fan themselves on the porch. And did you see our boys 
when a screaming victory in Chancellorsville? Oh, I was a hooting and a hollering as I read the news. Only thing that gets me reading that section of the paper is news of victory for our boys. That's right, Beauregard. Oh, well, well that's right. Look at this city full of Yankees on the main. And to think one day we'll look back at this and laugh and we'll say, of course the South begins in San Francisco. <laughs> Francis, you should write that down. I probably won't. You got a pen in your hand, don't you? Oh, my, my, I'm full of witticisms. You ought to follow me around. In her notebook, Francis scribbles the words, kill me now. Down the street, a crew strings 4th of July decorations around the square. Conservative white church folk eat brunch. Black journalists sell newspapers on the corner. Chinese immigrants prepare pyrotechnics. The street is lined with over-decorated facades and false fronts, buildings that seem to want to simulate a city more modern than it knows how to be. And Charles Webb, a puckish redhead walks through the city in a nice suit coat that maybe he never had the patience to get tailored. Beside him is Bret Hart, a classy-ass bohemian with a well-groomed mustache, the most goddamn famous writer in 19th century California. They post flyers around town that depict Bret at a lectern with the words, Bret Hart Speaks. Some scheduled dates beneath. They've got a stack of them. Brett wraps an arm around his friend's shoulder. I wish you would join me on stage sometime. <laughs> I d d don't think anyone wants to hear me talk. Least of all the confess. <laughs> Francis walking by, not noticing them. She has a look of determination. The geography of San Francisco isn't difficult to parse. One learns pretty quickly that San Francisco is Montgomery Street, a true cultural melting pot. Contradictions and all. Maybe America is Montgomery Street. The East Side prepares for a 4th of July parade, honoring the Union soldiers, while the West Side of the same street hangs Confederate flags from doorways and windows in preparations for their own brand of festivities. Draft dodgers, go to jail! Recognizing a market for well-sourced stories of the West, I found myself in the opulently decorated offices of some of the wealthiest and most influential people in California. No answer. She opens the heavy door anyway. Inside, Francis stands in the foyer of the Victorian-style office, Dark wood tones and floor-to-ceiling bookshelves surround her. She takes it in like a trapper might take in a hunting trail. I could tell they were delighted to receive a visit from such an accomplished writer from the East. Hello? Hello? Frances reaches out, running her gloved hand along a few of the books nearby. I must admit, I'm looking forward to seeing my own name prominently displayed along these walls. <laughs> Bancroft poses regally, staring out the large window behind his desk. It's like he's posing for a painting, but no one else is there. Mr. Bancroft is the owner of a giant mustache 
and a steadily growing publishing company. One of the absolute most successful men in California. Francis stands across from him, watching him with some confusion. Then, finally, she breaks the silence. It's a rigorously researched account of the history of the West. It's geography, indigenous cultures, early settlers. You read the book? Read it. <laughs> Please sit. Bancroft doesn't sit himself. She doesn't even have a chair. Francis looks awkward sitting at a table meant for standing. I'm a busy man. I'm building a publishing empire from the ground up, for God's sakes. Look around this room, this palace. I built this. Impeccable craftsmanship. Is it oak? I didn't mean I built the actual building. Of course not. But I may as well have. Look at this table. The table really was my idea. It's quite extraordinary. Here, set something down. Your hat. Hesitantly, Frances sets down her hat. Like an overgrown child, Mr. Bancroft demonstrates the table's ability to rotate, spinning the hat over to his side, like a lazy Susan. Now it's my hat. <laughs> you see? It's a fascinating contraption. Back to the book. I'll straight out with it then. If you want to sell us the research, we'd pay a pretty sum to repurpose it for one of our volumes. Without my name. Well, that's the best I can do for an unknown writer. Would it be different if I were a man? One simply can't just waltz into a publishing office and publish a book nowadays. I've been published out east, in New York even. I've never heard of you. I had a different name then. I can show you some of my previous publications. Female Poets of America by Edgar Allan Poe listed me. As what? A poet? It's not even best poets or accomplished poets. It's just ones that wear bonnets. I think the best was implied. From Poe? Man's sick in the head. Put that away. We're in California, ma'am. And in California, you're nobody. Well, thank you for your time. And my hat back. Bancroft spins the lazy Susan desk again, so the hat returns to Francis's side of the room. Come back when you're somebody. <clears throat> Francis says nothing, but puts on her hat. The music you're hearing in this episode is by Jay May. And now for a quick commercial break. You are listening to Storybound with Brianna Barrett and Jay May. And now we return from our break. Back at Russ House, Princess and Belle Jones are knitting on the porch, gossiping gleefully. What was the name of that gorgeous man who gave the sermon this Sunday? Oh, wasn't he wonderful? Yoo-hoo! Francis, dear, do you knit? You fixing to sell those? Raising money for the church. Oh. Then, no. Well, sit with us anyway. 
Did you know Laura Matilda upstairs has been taking an awful lot of callers? My stars! She says tonight she's going to the opera with some famous writer. A famous writer, she tells me. <laughs> well, I never heard of him. And her husband's out there fighting somewhere, but you wouldn't know it by the way she's dressed. Though he may be with the union, so I suppose she reckons it's only a matter of time. Uh, well, she is very pretty. Do you not understand how to gossip, honey? You're not supposed to say something nice. <laughs> Sweetie, oh, little pudgy boo. Are you Christian? I ask because I've never seen you at church, but I might have missed you because I'm always in the front row. I go to a special church that's just for God's favorite children. It's very exclusive. You realize lying about the Lord will send you straight to... Hello, mister! That same puckish redhead from the street earlier, Charles Webb, approaches. Oh, don't mind me. Please, go back to doing whatever it was that you were doing. (laughs) Nonsense! Welcome to Russ House. You can call me Princess. And who, pray tell, are you? Charles Webb. I'm looking for a young lady called Laura Matilda. I think she lives upstairs. Oh, another one. I'll go find her. Though she's got skadoodles, a fake teeth, and a skin condition. Isn't she Borica? Oh, yes, she does. Oh, yes, she does. You're the famous writer? What? Oh, no. Of course not. Sorry. This is why I don't gossip. I don't mind, long as it's in my favor. I write for the Golden Era. That's not that jokey, sarcastic periodical with all the puns, is it? I beg your p- p- pardon. The Golden Era is a very p- popular publication which circulates among the highest class of the community. And yes, the puns are largely my due. Why do you stutter? D- 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 don't call attention to a man's stutter. Snakes alive, the impropriety. You should know better. You're old. Er. Come again? Let me guess. You're from New York, and you're surprised to find the West isn't as excited to have you as you thought they'd be. Don't you dare try to pretend you're not from New York. I can hear it in your voice. Have we met before? I sincerely hope not. I have a nose for this sort of thing. I never forget a face. Frank, that's your name. Tell me it's not. That's what my sister calls me. I saw you at the Carey sisters' place years ago. You'd written a tantalizing story about crayoles and cross-dressers. Say what now? That does sound like something a young me would have done. I never forget an interracial cross-dressing romance. Oh, dear. Oh, oh, for the love of decency, I am taking myself away from this this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Why did you come out here? When? A year ago. Ah. Well, I don't do that frivolous romance stuff anymore. That's a shame. Though I supposed it seems newspaper writing is experiencing quite a boom in California, with quite a lower barrier to entry. 
a lower barrier to entry. Are you implying just anyone could excel at my ch ch chosen profession? No. I mean, can you? Does it pay well? And there it is. The only question any woman really wants to know, how much do I make? Well, I'm a very accomplished writer, and I'm paid an amount of money that I'm not telling you. If you're thinking about employment at the era, don't bother. It's probably not good enough for you. Well, what a philanthropic individual you are for letting a little lady know not to waste her time on a well-paying position. Good day, Mr. Webb. It's interesting you don't stutter when you're angry. Irish immigrants most likely to evade the trap! Hey, mister! Weren't you waiting for someone? Strange to say I've completely forgotten why I came. The music you're hearing in this episode is by Jay May. And now for our final break. You are listening to Storybound with Brianna Barrett and Jay May. And now we return for our final chapter. Upstairs at her writing desk, Frances looks down at the bustling street, noticing buttoned-up businessmen, grocers, and salesmen. All men. A few have ladies on their arms. A man of a certain age, immigrating to California, has draft dodger written all over him. They could have left something to the women, but no. In a city that's 80% men, it's easier for a woman to be accompanied to the ballet every night of the week before she'll find gainful employment. Frances roots through her suitcase looking for something to wear. She's still living out of suitcases, and she pulls out one of her corsets. Clearly, a man designed this. Are you serious? I find corsets dreadfully vexing, but sometimes a man's got to notice you. Don't judge me. She unfolds the newspaper she had purchased earlier today, The Golden Era. Good morning, and thanks for joining us at The Golden Era, universally regarded as a journal of unsurpassed literary excellence. Dispatches that are nearly lightning, coming right at you from the best of the West. Get weekly news, humor, scuttlebuttery from the hashish eater, and Brett the Poet Heart. Special Telegraph, it is undoubtedly rumored that President Lincoln will seek re-election in the next year. He and Mr. Johnson have been making the rounds with the inspiring campaign slogan, We are running for re-election. Seriously, what else do you need to know? A man has a right to a raffle. Maybe even ten raffles. <laughs> Why not? A bunch of guys in Los Angeles banded together to start their own secessionalist militia. Friends and countrymen, every day a young man tells his sweetheart 
If I'm drafted, I'll go. And every day, more young men are indeed going to Canada. In their defense, some of them had wives like Minnie. In my defense, Claude Pate, I will cut you. <clears throat> now, New York rioted when the draft was passed back in March, but what does a Californian man do? <laughs> well, he just wanders off. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hats, hats, hats! Fall fashion! Silk hats for $6! Ladies' fancy goods get the greatest bargains ever offered at Madame de Morris' Emporium of Fashion! Men's clothes are also available! Oh yes, they also have men's clothes! Today is July 5th, 1863. Thank you for subscribing to the Golden Era. Our feature story is from that mysterious gentleman known only as Inigo! Are you a brash, impulsive, overly confident know-nothing? Do you feel entitled to success and admiration despite never having done much of anything yourself? Do you want a pat on the back for feats accomplished by other people? Because you're fairly certain your very presence on Earth must have done something to ensure their victory? Well, may I recommend being an American? My dear American people, what does it mean to be at war with oneself? While the South bickers about slavery, and the North bickers about who deserves to pat himself on the back the hardest for being against slavery the most, I can't understand why more people aren't immigrating to America, the land of the free, the home of the people who call it that. So, so what, what are, are you waiting, waiting for? Be an American now. I love it. In the middle of a war, you ruffle the feathers on both sides and everyone in between. n n, -n, -n, -n not me, Inigo. <laughs> oh, of course, Inigo. Lawrence, I can't believe you let him say things like this. That's right, fellas. From now on, the Golden Era is not just gonna write about what's happening in San Francisco. We are what's happening in San Francisco. Huzzah! Huzzah! <laughs> Woo! Yes! Yes! <laughs> what about Oakland? Yes, Pip, we will still cover Oakland. It will be easy to be the only thing happening there. <laughs> just thought I'd check. And what did I tell you? No outcry, not a protest outside. P -p People know the world's gone mad, and they appreciate the affirmation. Here, here. Let's get that man a drink. Meanwhile, Francis steps into the noisy billiards bar. Pipe smoke fills the air, and through it, she can see men drinking and gambling. Hello, miss. Is this the office of the golden era? <laughs> An office. <laughs> I wish. Look at you in those gloves. So classy. Am I in the wrong place? Number 543 Clay Street? I'd like to speak to the editor-in-chief. Why is a woman like you looking for a place like this? I'm a writer. I'm looking for employment. Oh, that's so. Well, I've got a piece of advice. Get married to one of these idiots. That's what I did. Cincinnatus! Hello! Uh, a married man's freedom is short-lived. Think well of me. You're supposed to be quitting! Ow! Not while we're at work! Th th that relationship is a volcanic disaster. It's a shame they're already married. More for him or for her? 
For me! For the paper! It takes the punch right out of it. A hot and cold romance like that's only good if you're not sure if they get together in the end. Could be a real selling point for our readers. But nobody wants to think about divorce, and nobody wants to think about the sexuality of a married woman either. Where's your wife tonight, Lawrence? No idea. <laughs> You're a true romantic. Francis's spying is interrupted by Fitzhugh Ludlow, a bearded 19th century stoner who taps her shoulder abruptly. Excuse me. <laughs> Have you ever looked at your hand? <laughs> Someone told me I have too much time on it. <laughs> but where is time? Sir, I wonder if I'm in the right place. I'm here to speak with Mr. Lawrence. Who's to say we're not all in the wrong place at the right moment? <laughs> Can you tell me, is that him over there? The editor? Mr. Lawrence? Lawrence. Law, rant, law and rant. There are two things in life that are certain, the law and the rant. I think you're thinking of death and taxes. <laughs> Both of those are the law. <laughs> okay, I'll just go ask him myself. Ah, this city is getting out of hand. Pish posh. You know Independence Day is more of a freedom celebration of our public drunkenness more than anything else. Anything else would be hypocritical. A man can murder someone for sport, but a witness can't be sworn into court unless he believes in God? I love hypocrisy. Without it, I'd be out of work. Martin, can I have a mint julep? Don't do the bit. I do declare... I may take issue with the Confederacy on a number of points, but I reckon you're just about the handsomest gentleman to ever buy me a drink. Except that stallion Inigo. Course, if you think about it, Inigo's never bought a drink in his life that weren't paid for by his long-suffering editor, that lanky, cranky, yankee colonel. Joseph Lawrence. You know, a closed mouth gathers no boots. Oh, you want little old me to stop talking? Oh, that's a lofty request to m m m make of a man whose sole profession is just saying stupid things. Hey, don't sell yourself short, my friend. You also think stupid things and write them down. Right you are, Brett. And if the good baby Jesus Lord wanted me to... What, what, what are you doing here? Hi, professionals. I couldn't help but overhear, and I have to disagree. If you want to be more than just the news, we can't keep playing it safe with easy jabs at the Confederacy. People out west read war coverage like it's a sports game. You treat the election like it's just another show at the Opera House, and I just met your local courtroom correspondent. He's crazier than popcorn on a hot stove. Oh, Fitz, uh, never mind him. He's investigating mind-altering drugs from Mexico. <laughs> Is there a reason you're eavesdropping on our conversation? You are the editor of the paper? Colonel Joseph Lawrence, at your service. Uh, depending on what service you need. I'm Francis Fuller Victor. I'd like to write for your paper. Weekly. I brought samples. We're not hiring. <laughs> 
Your court correspondent is on drugs. Your war correspondent wears a bullfighting getup and moccasins that is frankly just offensive for a white man. His wife almost exclusively writes articles about how much she hates being married. And no offense, but this one? Mr. Webb? Inigo, as I now know he calls himself? If you think he's edgy, just wait till you meet me. With all due respect, I think you should be hiring. And anyway, I heard you say yourself you wanted another female writer. Can I get you a drink? What? No, thank you. Good. Well, there you go, Lawrence. I have a nose about these things and- Not to worry. It's on me. Official newspaper business. Everyone's on my tab. Here, let's take a seat over here. Sir, I believe in experiencing the full absurdity of life without the assistance of alcohol. I've done some preliminary research on that subject as well. That's okay. Is any of that your writing or is it all preliminary research? It's about three-fourths research, but for that reason, the writing is very good. To be honest, we could use more of the female perspective. I mean, we love opinionated women out here in the West. Do you mind if I drink? Um... Thanks. Right. I'm told the Golden Era pays $21 per weekly column. I'm published East, which I'm sure you know pays quite a bit better, but I'm willing to allow $21 so long as I have a regular place in all forthcoming issues. The stagecoach is so boring that one starts to hope for a bear attack just so you'll have something to do. <sighs> Traveling can be tedious. I attempt to infuse some humor to make it more interesting. Well, this isn't humor. And tedium doesn't work in a business like mine. Sure, it's nicely written, but it needs to get to the point. It's the journey, not the destination. Uh, no, not in publishing. The destination is the headline. A and a journey out west? It's not really newsworthy in California. We've all done it. Fair point. I can tell you're a fine writer, and too smart for your own good. But, pardon my French here, you're wasting it on this travel crap. Show us something no one's ever seen a woman do. Are you giving me an assignment, or are you brushing me off? When you have something I can publish, we'll talk. In the meantime, Miss Victor, don't criticize my staff if you can't back it up. It's fuller, Victor. I'll see you next week. Good day. Once we try to record the singing birds, cables stretched for miles from your door near the landing of the plains. I never felt so plain. Birds never sang the same again. I'll take the train in the morning. It's still not out and not out. June door, I walk beside you between sycamore. And I never told you this, but on Christmas I saw you selling trees on Avenue A. Winter wind knows your paper skin went to Paris once. I never been. A new question for my readers. How does a woman do something that's never been done before when she has no money, no fame, no friends, and lives along enemy lines at a Confederate hotel? <sighs> Dear readers of the Golden Era, my name is Frances Strike That. I'm sure you are wondering who I am. Strike That. Why would they be wondering? 
I'm no one. Frances struggled with how to redefine her voice in a city that seemed determined to crush her spirits. After nominal success out east, she felt entitled to the admiration of California's literary elite. Okay, I don't care for this third-person narrator one bit. Have something to say, he tells me. You could go somewhere no woman's ever gone before. I could, could I? Well, I wish the muses would visit upon me a marketable idea. But I suppose that's not what muses are for. As women, we're seen as either a domestic machine, a fool, or a saint. And I am none. I'm 36, and nobody knows my name. It was a terrible mistake to come here. Who could that be? Facing her on the other side is herself, but not. Hello, Mr. Golden Era. What, pray tell, can I do for you? Florence Fane is an exaggerated parody of Princess and Belle Jones that exists within Frances's imagination. She looks exactly like Frances as a Southern Belle. She wears a giant skirt and sun hat like a loud, ridiculous fairy. It's late. I really must be tired. You're tired? Your ideas, me, are as fresh as flowers. Now, darling, get that pen moving and we'll get you in that newspaper. That's what you want, ain't it? To be honest, I want to be a writer and I want to be written about. Bless your sweet heart. Out here in California, y'all sure do know how to dress for the one season you have. A lot of black linen in this city. It's like lace and chiffon dyed and you're all in mourning. <laughs> oh, that is mean. Do you not know how to gossip, honey? You're not supposed to say something nice. On the contrary, I think you could be meaner. The fashion today are these long, skinny dresses with these long trains in the back, which seem to function as a way to pick up dirt and brambles from the street. I hate those dresses. You hate those dresses. I was gonna clean my kitchen floors the other day, but it was raining outside, so I realized I could just invite over Laura Matilda. And with that long train of hers, I tell you, that girl is like a human mop handle and about as interesting to talk to. Shelly's <laughs> monster. I can do something with you. I can say something. Something no one else has the constitution to say. But you can say it. Well, I joined the Confederacy today because it just feels like now is the time things are really going well for the South. Okay, that's not e exactly what I meant. It's a state of mind, really. To be a Confederate at all is to know that you're just a little bit better than most people. And who am I to disagree with that? You see, the Confederates of California are truly the best Confederates of the entire nation. They've never even owned people. Can you imagine that? They just believe in other people's ability to own people. That's the great thing about the Confederate doctrine. You can still support it without getting any tangible benefit for yourself. You can be poor, but subscribe to a political ideology that makes other people rich. 
and you just stay poor and they get more rich, but you get to be part of that magic. Well, I swan. You see, the Confederates in California came out for the gold rush. We have all the conviction of our brothers in arms fighting this war and all the sense of entitlement that, in the meantime, we personally still ought to focus on getting rich. You fight or you fill your pockets with gold. And you think that doesn't make us all a little confederate out here in California? Bless your sweetheart. <laughs> Pleasure to make your acquaintance, honey. You can call me Florence Fane. You should write that down. A toast to our new colleague. Her? You gotta be joshing me. Yeah, it'll be good for you to have a little spirited rivalry. Francis looks out the window to the city. She sees Princess and Southern Belle sitting on a park bench, reading a copy of the paper, laughing together. She also sees a young African-American woman reading it with a look of concern. She's not sure if she did the right thing. For now, for this moment in her life, Francis signs a name that isn't hers. There is a lot more where that story came from. In fact, what you just heard was an adaptation of Brianna Barrett's original play, which she spent several years researching, developing, writing, redrafting, and now narrating. You can see what else Brianna is up to at briannabarrett.com. Direction provided by Brianna Barrett. Recording managed by Brianna Barrett and myself. Editing, sound design, scoring, arranging, mixing, and mastering by myself, Jude Brewer. Francis Fuller Victor and Florence Fain, voiced by Brooke Smith. Mr. Bancroft and Fitzhugh Ludlow by Kirk McGee. Charles Webb by David Bella Squires. Pip Pepper Pod by Ryan Swan. Colonel Joseph Lawrence by Hamilton Barrett. Princess and Minnie by Ashley Spillers. Cincinnatus and Inigo by Gary Sandlin, Brett Hart and the Romantic by Jonathan Miles, Belle Jones by Kristen Barrett, Draft Soldier and Saloon Patrons by myself, Jude Brewer, and Leslie Swore as Campfire Traveler. The following songs were provided by Jay May and then remixed by myself. I Stand Up For Me, Today and Tomorrow, Just Got Over You, Should Have Known, For Goodness Sake, Singing of the Birds, Enlighten Me. Thank you to Ingrid Carlson and the people of the Regional Arts and Culture Council. Thank you to Epidemic Sound, and thank you to the team at Storybound. Matt Keeley, Jesse Adler, Sylvia Beltill, Jordan Aaron, and Tim Carplus. Our executive producers are myself, Jeff Umbro of the Podglomerate, and Justin Alvarez of LitHub. For longtime listeners, you probably noticed our new theme music, this was remixed and produced by myself, and we have one more episode for the season. A special bonus episode this coming Tuesday, and then we're off to begin production on season five. Thank you to our listeners who have supported us these past couple of years. We couldn't do it without you. You can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, at StoryboundPod, or you can tweet at me directly at Jude Brewery. We'll see you next week.
the Podglomerate.